Hey there, Grace Point. My name is Andrew. It's really great to be here. Uh, it's my joy and privilege to preach God's Word this morning. And a really warm welcome to you if it's your first time at Grace Point. It's my first Sunday too. Uh, I'll be, it's hilarious. I'll be continuing my uh, sermon series through the Apostles' Creed today, which is a summary of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. As understood by the early church, it's not the Bible, but it's a really helpful bunch of statements that Christians down the ages, down the centuries, have repeated and memorized and found helpful for their faith. And we say it in 2023, when we do it, we echo it with millions and millions of other Christians, some still alive and some perhaps to be born. And today's statement we're going to be looking at is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that I want to say is that when we use the word believe, it's not just about intellectual knowledge that you sort of agree with, but makes no difference to your everyday life. When we use the word believe, we declare the statement to not just be true, but useful, good, something that you stake your life upon, something that affects your life because of its truth, something that you believe because it affects your life. Ultimately, here at Grace Point, we want to know God deeply, to love Him deeply. Francis Chan says that the Holy Spirit is, in his words, the forgotten God, the forgotten person of the Trinity. We hear and consider lots about God the Father. We definitely talk lots about Jesus the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, well, we get a little bit nervous talking about Him. We sometimes think of the Holy Spirit as like the force from Star Wars. Because he's sort of like the power behind stuff that Christians do. And he's sort of difficult to get because he's intangible. We get fathers and we get sons. But, well, there's no tangible equivalent for a person who dwells inside of us. Some kind of like parasite or bug or like weird energy force. Like what's the deal with that? I think we can also get a bit nervous about the Holy Spirit because... It's sometimes tied to particular supernatural events that frankly can be seen a little bit weird and a little bit hard to understand. And sometimes as a response, we sort of just think it's easy to turn our heads away. But actually, we serve one God in three persons. One God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And to ignore one of the members of the Trinity is to ignore who God is himself. It actually sort of means that we come to God with our own sort of agenda, telling God who he is, telling what he should be like, and allowing what sort of role he can have in our lives. No, no, no. God comes to us on his terms. And can I suggest that if we do not understand, if we ignore the Holy Spirit, we lose out on great riches that God invites every one of his followers into, the richest intimacy of relationships. And so today we're going to look at his good word and ask two questions. It's there on your outlines, either physical or online. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does the Spirit-filled life look like? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit, not just as a piece of intellectual knowledge, but to have the Holy Spirit as someone who intimately dwells inside of us, transforming us, groaning and hoping with us? Keep that outline and your Bibles open. That will help you to follow along. But first, how about I ask our Heavenly Father for help? Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you are one God in three persons. 
And we thank you that we can know you as you reveal yourself in your word. What a great joy it is then to hear you speak. Please help us as we seek to know and love you more deeply. Father, help us to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to feel you more nearly. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So firstly, who is the Holy Spirit? And first of all, it's important to say it is who, not what. The Holy Spirit is a person. He, not it. He's the third person of the Trinity, fully divine, fully eternal. In fact, he was even there at the beginning of creation, just as God the Father and the Son were there too. In fact, in every act of God, every person of the Trinity is involved. But in particular, it becomes clear as we turn the pages of the Bible that the Holy Spirit is one of life. He is the giver of life. God breathes and so gives man life. The Spirit is the giver of life, but it seems to be not just of physical life that he gives, but he also gives spiritual life. For when God's people, Israel, were spiritually dead, described as dry, dead, hopeless bones in Ezekiel 37, God says this, You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. The spirit goes forth, and so life is given. And his work becomes even clearer as Jesus, the Son, is bound to a cross, crucified, dies, and by the Spirit is raised back to life, where the once silenced word begins to breathe again, and so brings spiritual life to all who trust in his death. He brings life to dead, dry, hopeless bones. Where there is chaos, the Spirit brings order. Where there is death, the Spirit brings life. Where there is no way out, the Spirit brings hope. And see, the life-giving Spirit is not just a theoretical fact, but a life-changing reality. So much so that, in fact, for me, 13 years ago, the Spirit blew and changed my life. Nothing seemingly miraculous happened, but I got that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for me. And then by the Spirit, my eyes were opened. The Spirit breathed life into me as I trusted in Him. Where my life was in chaos, God brought order. Where my life had only death, the Spirit brought life. Where my life had no way out, the Spirit brought hope. And that story is true too for all who trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus and the Father will send His Spirit to dwell within you and give you life. And sending the Spirit is so important that Jesus says this before he dies. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says it would be worse if Jesus stayed with the disciples alive rather than died and went away. Which means, better if the one who casts out demons, who heals the incurable, who wisely and surgically speaks the word of God, is better if he dies so that the Spirit might dwell within. Far better to have God inside you than God alongside you. And isn't God so kind? He 
doesn't just wipe the slate of our sins clean, dying the death that we deserve. He doesn't just balance the scales out between us and God. He goes above and beyond wanting to give us everything, most of all seen in adopting us and placing his very own self, his very Holy Spirit within us. It is for your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, into you. Like imagine this. Imagine Jesus and his disciples are upstairs. They've, he's just washed their feet. They've shared the Passover meal together. And Jesus is talking about leaving them and dying. And worse, the world is about to hate them, as Jesus says. They will put you out of your synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Their lives are on the line, and their best mate, Jesus, is leaving them. This sounds like terrible news. But Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice that Jesus says, another helper, implying that Jesus himself is the first helper, which means that another one who is just like Jesus will dwell within you forever. In every circumstance you might experience, every wave of emotion or doubt you may feel, every temptation that rears its ugly head, the Holy Spirit is right there with you. Nothing will pass him by. He will help you to live for him. He will advocate, stand on your behalf, pleading your cause, reminding you again and again, whether you believe it or not, that God loves you and that God has forgiven you and that he will never leave you. The disciples were afraid of being left alone, confused and helpless, and Jesus gets that. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit in you is the promise that you are his child. He has adopted you. And one of the Spirit's works is to keep reminding you that you are his precious beloved child, that he's got you. And it's really important because if you're anything like me, you hear that and you absolutely do not believe that. And I think that explains another one of the Spirit's titles here. He calls him the Spirit of Truth. You can know that God is your Father without really knowing that God is your Father, if you get me. So you can read the bit where he says, I will not leave you as orphans, and you're like, yeah, 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 that's pretty cool. That's nice of him to say that. No, 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 no. What it means is that he's coming to take you out of the orphanage. He will bring you home, clothe you, love you, cherish you, completely embrace you as his child. He will not leave you as orphans by yourself. The Spirit reminds you each day, and even right now, the fact that he is in you means that he is not left you. And when he says he is your father, you might begin to believe that that is true. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
Uh, if you have a teacher, a parent, someone outside of you, it's easy to ignore them, shove them to the side, choose not to listen to them. But the spirit inside of you does not relent to teach you who you are and who you are loved by. He cares far too much for you to leave you as you are. Because if you're anything like me, you know that you're adopted by the Father, but functionally in your life, you live as if you're still an orphan. As if this life and this world is all up to you. That no one will think anything of you unless you achieve it for yourself. That you will have failed your life and your purpose unless you work harder and harder all the way down to the bone. That ultimately it's a dog-eat-dog world and it's all up to you. But those words don't sound like the words and actions of someone who is secure and safe in the Father's arms, do they? His Holy Spirit is here to help with that. And this leads us to consider, what does the Spirit-filled life actually look like? What does it mean that the Spirit is in us? And I think that what He does is that in our lives, He helps us to live not as orphans, but as we actually are, as beloved, adopted children of the Most High. He transforms us to live as we actually are, who we actually are. And as He transforms us, we begin to look radically difference. There was this boy at my old church. His name was Cal. I love him. He's so cute. He was born in Bulgaria, but from very young, completely abandoned and malnourished. Two friends of mine somehow got wind of this. They flew to Bulgaria to adopt him. They finally got all the papers settled and brought little Cal when he was a few years old to Australia, and they absolutely loved him. They gave him all that he needed and they could not be happier to have him in their homes. But Cal had these habits from when he was an orphan. Whenever he would be at the dinner table, he would stuff his face like there was no tomorrow, and when he couldn't eat anymore, he was so full, he would grab little bread rolls and the scraps off the table, and he would shove them up his shirt, just in case that was his last meal there. See, when you've lived as an orphan for so long, old habits die hard. Even though he was already adopted, he was still living as an orphan. It took him so many years for him to finally stop stuffing his face and stashing food away. But if you saw him like I did at church a few years later, happy, smiling, he'd finally stop stealing the food of other children, you wouldn't have thought he was the same child. The love and security of his parents who had adopted him changed him, transformed him. And that is exactly the sort of transformational work that happens by the work of the Spirit in us. At the core of how we typically relate to the world as orphans is this. We think that it's all about us. We're self-centered. We place ourselves at the core of everything. We make things about us. Others are here to fulfill my desires, and I do it all on my own by my strength. The Bible calls this sort of living the desires of the flesh. It's self-absorbed, self-focused. It's doing the thing that you want to do. 
And Paul says that sort of living is completely opposed to the desires of the spirits. But more than just being completely opposed to each other, it makes actually no sense to live like that. Because early in Galatians, Paul says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a heir through God. The foundation of the spirit's transformation in us is that who we are is different now. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons. Only slaves carry the burden by themselves, not sons. You see, the great news of Jesus frees us from living for ourselves, from full self-reliance, from self-burden and self-expectation, because you've already been set free. You've been made a son. Paul thinks it's so important to tell people that... um, Paul still thinks it's so important to help God's people that even though you were adopted already as sons, you still need to remember to stand firm, to not submit again to this yoke of slavery, is what he calls it. Because it's so much more fair, isn't it? And we feel far more in control if everything in the world is all up to me. If I live for myself with my ways and my rules, if I live following the desires of the flesh, live and relate to God based on what I do rather than what he has done, that feels so much more fair to me and I'm so much more in control. Paul says it to them because, and he says it to us today as well, because he gets the propensity of our human hearts to turn towards self, to turn towards flesh and turn away from the way of the spirits. And look at the works of the flesh. They are evident, for they are, oopsie, ooh. This one, no, this one. This one, here we go, we got it, my bad. For the works of the flesh are evident, they are self-absorbed and self-focused. Look at them, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Others are used for my own gain. I sleep with who I want, when I want, how I want. God is used for my own gain. I give my allegiance to idols of power and comfort, control, approval. As I see fit, I lift myself as the ruler of all, seeing that I'm the person that all should serve. But also do you notice that the ways of the flesh are easy and they are quick? Snap choices giving into emotion. It's far easier to divide than unite, far easier to give in than be self-controlled, far easier to turn to sorcery for quick fixes than work on something slowly and steadily. In contrast, notice that the work of the spirits, firstly, is called fruit, implying that it forms slowly and difficultly. You don't plant an apple tree in the ground today and expect tomorrow to to get an apple off it, do you? No, 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 no. You you water the apple tree, you fertilize it, you protect it from pests. It's slow and hard work, isn't it? But if you look at that list there, the Spirit frees us to live out who we really are 
as sons, not slaves. Not self-absorbed, but fully reliant on the Spirit and His work. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, completely different to the works of the flesh. Self-sacrificing, self-controlled, self-forgetting, other-centered, fully giving. Because someone who is secure and has all that they need in the God who is their father, they can freely, continuously, committedly give to those around them. Even when they've been treated unjustly, even when they've been misunderstood, even when everyone else is out for themselves. For the one who has been loved much, loves much. But the question I want to ask you today is, what do you expect today of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Some expect far too much. They want all of heaven's joys and glories right now. They expect what belongs to the next life in this life. But I think there's a second danger. And my guess is that this danger is far closer to where we might be. While some expect far too much, some expect far too little of the Holy Spirit. There is no supernatural in the Christian life. It's a set of beliefs and a distant and far God, and ultimately it's up to me to do my best. It's kind of easier to expect less of God because that way you won't be disappointed. It's more comfortable when I do it my way. It's better when I'm in control without the Spirit. I feel more powerful when I feel like I'm doing the change. People think more highly of me when I'm center stage. Friends, can I suggest that this way of thinking and living, it's slavery. And it acts as if you are not a secure and safe, beloved child of God. It deprives you of doing the thing you were made for, of relying on the Spirit's work to transform you. Francis Chan has a really helpful quote tackling this idea. He says this, I never want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. No matter where you live and what your days look like, you have the choice each day to depend on yourself, to love safely and to control your life, or... You can live as you were created to live, as a temple of the Holy Spirit of God, as a person dependent on Him, desperate for God the Spirit to show up and make a difference. Sometimes we experience nothing of the Spirit of God because we have forgotten Him. We have replaced Him. In fact, we've replaced the Spirit with ourselves. Our lives are too secure, too controlled, too withheld, our knuckles white, frantically trying to hold on for dear life. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper in John 16. But what role does he play when we tell him that we have no need of his help? We receive so little of the Spirit's transformational power in our lives because we expect so little. Brothers and sisters, The Spirit is not like that. He desires to give you the best of the best, to change and transform you to live as you really are, a child of the Most High, being made more and more into His image, into the image of the Son. What would it look like for you to 
to let go of comfort and control and begin to pray a little bit more uncomfortably beyond yourself. To pray to God to look less and less like yourself and to begin to look more and more like Jesus. For your friend or family member to know Christ and perhaps even more that you might be the one to share the good news of Christ with them. To pray that you would lovingly give yourself at church so that others might be spurred on to live for Jesus too, even when it comes at self-sacrifice. What would it look like to expect God to grow you slowly and steadily by the work of the spirits? No quick fixes, but the steady work of reminding you of the gospel, reminding you of who you are, so you might slowly begin to act as if that you are that, a child of God. What would it look like for all of us if we did that at Grace Point? What a source of joy, of, of wonder, of, of life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But yet, kind of scary to pray those things, right? But let's expect lots of the Spirit this week. If he can raise the dead body of Jesus and adopt recklessly hell-bent orphans like us, he can raise our scared and anxious hearts towards bold, courageous, and confident trusting. What a terrifying joy that would be and how thrilled the Spirit would be to answer those prayers to make us more like Jesus, to help us realize that we are, as he says, his beloved children. Thank God for his Spirit. That's transformation. I want to turn our gaze to consider Romans 8 now, to think about this Holy Spirit's work of hoping and groaning. And again, as we see in Romans 8, the gospel of freedom is reinforced. Freed from living as slaves, freed into being sons. Setting the mind on self or flesh leads to death. Setting the mind on the spirits leads to life and peace. Paul reminds them again of who they are. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirits. The spirit of God dwells in you and you belong to him. That's who you are. And you might think at this moment, Popo, it's cool. I get it. You've told me a few thousand times. I hear it again and again and again. But I'm saying it again because that's what we always need to keep hearing. Because as much as we live in this world, you and I are sort of torn between living for the flesh, living for self, and remembering who the Spirit has made us to be. We live in a decaying, hard, and alluring world And that often makes us turn more inward towards self than outwards towards God. And that just tells me that the world that you and I live in is going to be tough for the person who is adopted by God. That I'm going to continuously have to keep, I'm going to continuously keep leaving, living by the spirits, and I'll keep knuckling down to live by the flesh for myself and trying harder. And I think that's the sort of tension that you begin to see as you read Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. The Bible's insistence on telling me this again and again tells me that that's what I am like. 
that I am like a slave, like an orphan, continuously falling back into fear, questioning whether God really loves me, whether God really likes me. And as I begin to get nervous about losing control, I shift my gear into the land of comfort so I feel more in control, and I live for myself again. But no, 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 remember, we've already received the spirit of adoption. We are indeed beloved children of God. Even though everything within me tells me that I am not, the spirit of truth keeps echoing in my heart, helping me to know that he is my father. He really is my father. He really is my father. And oh, I don't know about you, but I think about that, it's, it's really tiring <laughs> to keep forgetting the need to keep being reminded by the spirits It's like walking up the down escalators of my mind again and again and again. And I'm not really that fit, so I begin puffing and I'm... (sighs) I am groaning here in this world. In the very next line, Paul assumes that God's children will suffer with Christ. That that's the expectation of living in this world with the tension between the spirit and the flesh. And if that is not your experience of the Christian life of struggle and tension, you might want to ask yourself if you are walking up the down escalator or if you are simply standing still, slowly moving down, stagnance, complacence. But thankfully, Jesus does not win you back by shaming or strong-arming you. He wins you again as you slip into your ways by by loving you. He shows that he is far better as a father, as your father, that his posture is always on his knees with arms open wide, joyfully willing to embrace you again at any time as you fall away, as you turn away. And if this morning you realize that's exactly where you are, Jesus says this, come. And can I say today, if you do not trust in Jesus yet, to you too he says, come. You may have been here at Grace Point for a while, but you realize today you don't really know him as Father. He knows you. He loves you. And he says, come. Not when you're ready. Not when you fix yourself up. He says, come now with your mud-slatted clothes and your starving little hearts. He says, come now. He gives life. And he is so good. And it's not just us who groan in this world. For we know that the creation groans too. In the pains of childbirth, it says. Uh, Mothers in the room, you will have far better experience of this than I will. I once drove a friend of mine to give birth. And between dropping her off at the hospital and her actually giving birth, it was less than 30 minutes. So let me tell you, in that car ride, it was not low-level groaning. It was so loud that it still echoes in my mind even right now. (laughs) Creation is screaming with this tension, waiting, longing, hoping for the revealing of the sons of God. It's forward-looking to this grand reveal. When Jesus comes back, who is it? Who are the sons of God? And we groan too. For we know we are sons of God now, but we still live enfleshed here in this world, and we cannot wait to be fully clothed 
and meet our Father finally face to face. But even though we are not there yet, the precious gifts, the first fruits of the Spirit, are in us. He is the down payment reminding us that we will be with Him when He comes back. And the Spirit helps us to groan now so that we might hope for Him. And what does that groaning look like in our lives, you might ask? Well, in the earlier verse, we cry, uh, it says this, we cry out, Abba, Father, by the Spirit. We can only do it by the Spirit. But it's, it's not simply just saying the literal words, Abba, Father. It's crying out. It's, it's desperation and need in that cry, as if there's nowhere else to turn to but Him. And that phrase, Abba, Father, only appears in the New Testament three times. Once here, once in that earlier Galatians passage, and said just once by Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but yours be done. See, Jesus is here about to face death, and it is hard. He is in agony, and even that is an understatement. Jesus is desperately crying out to his Abba Father, which leads me to believe that for Galatians and Romans, for us to cry out, to call God Abba Father, it's like the piercing cry of a child screaming daddy as she plunges into waters she cannot swim. Abba, Father, is a desperate cry for help. And if you think about it, it's the actually only natural reaction to the world if you are what Scripture says you are, that you are a child of God. The world often talks about growing up and maturing as becoming more and more independent, more self-reliant, more self-sustainable, needing others less and less. But actually the work of maturing as a Christian, as a child of God, is becoming more reliant, not less. Recognizing more of your need, not less. More of your need of the Spirit's help. More of crying out, Abba, Father, as you plunge into waters you cannot swim. It would be crazy for the child who cannot swim plunging into depths where she will drown, to turn to her father and say, don't worry, Dad, I've got this. As she thrashes around more and more and more, don't worry, I've got this, swallowing more and more water, slowly beginning to sink. Isn't that what I do almost every day? As I turn against God and say, I've got this, God? We do not realize how deeply in need we are of God. And the Spirit transforms us to live as we are, a child of God, to cry out for the Father's need, groaning so deeply in need. Once again, the Spirit is the helper, and so it makes sense to ask for help. I have this prayer that I've started saying, and it's a bit embarrassing sharing this with you because it sounds really dumb, to be honest. But actually, if you think about it, it's sort of, it's sort of kind of profound. And it goes like this. Father God, I need your help. And so, I ask for it. 
It's not particularly amazing. It's not really eloquent. But it's deeply true, isn't it? But I know also that it was so true for me that I found it so hard and still find it so hard to pray this prayer. As I've grown in maturity as a Christian, I've realized that I am a deeply needy child. I am deeply in need of help, more than I know. And I don't need to pretend like I don't need help. Children go to their fathers for help. Children of God go to their father for help. And even that realization for me only comes by the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in you right now. Every good thing that comes from me is not from me. It comes from the miraculous, supernatural, life-changing work of the Spirit. And that is a great, greatly humbling statement. But it is also deeply profound and freeing because it means you no longer need to pretend like you are God, like you have everything together, but instead it frees you to come to God and ask for help in groaning. He is not surprised that you need help. Fathers are not surprised when their kids come to them for help, right? Every time you realize you need help, the Spirit prompts you to cry out, Abba, Father, I'm about to sink. And He will be right there to save you. Every time you realize you desire something of God, that's the Spirit's work in you. Every time you do anything good or of service at all, that's the Spirit's work of you. Every time you've stuffed it up and then you realize afterwards, that's the Spirit's work in you. It's slow and steady and it's such a struggle as we live in this world trying to live for myself. The Spirit helps us by groaning within us, with us, helping us to hope for that time when He will indeed return and we will meet Him face to face and we will say, Abba, Father. Friends, we need to grow to know the Spirit and His work. There are bounties, bounties we so deeply miss if we ignore Him. If we do not turn to Him, we will live as slaves, orphans, not sons. But even that when you forget that you are a son, that He really loves you, Remember that he has given you He has given us another helper to be with us forever. We know him for he dwells with us and is in us. He has not left us as orphans. The Holy Spirit has come to us and is in us now. Shall we pray to our Abba Father together? Please pray with me. Abba Father, we need your help, and so we ask for it. Thank you that your Spirit gives life, that he transforms and changes us to live as we really are, beloved children of you. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us to know him and love him. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.